was in the days of Herod, the king of Judah, a certain priest by the name of, somebody read that. Zacharias of the division of Abijah. His wife was of the daughters of Aaron and her, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous. Somebody say both righteous before God. Somebody say who you marry matters. Come, come on, say it with faith. Now you know I'm going to tell you what to say. Say who you marry matters. Man, you, 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 if you're single, make sure you marry someone who's righteous before God. M make sure you marry someone who loves God more than they love you and is committed to the purpose and the plan and the destiny that God... How many people know who you marry matters? Somebody like, well, Pastor, I didn't marry right. Well, after who you marry matters, who you worship matters. Because if you worship God, he's able to change the hearts of every single person. So don't get discouraged and don't you dare run out of that marriage. Get down on your knees and believe God to do what only he can do. And watch your greatest pain turn into your greatest miracle. If anybody has had God restore relationship, can you say amen? Come on now. They were both righteous before the Lord, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord. They were blameless. Oh, but they had no child. I told you today is going to be a little bit more uh, Union College style, so I'm going to just talk and teach and preach all at the same time. Man, you know you can love God and have a broken heart? Man, you know you could be blameless and walking before the Lord and still have such a big void in your life? Because serving God never promised a perfect life. We live in a broken world that's full of pain, that's full of setback and agony. You can love God and life still not be perfect. They were blameless, but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and they were both well advanced in years. The, the Bible's so politically correct. They were old, y'all. They was old. They was old. They was old. So it was that while he was serving as priest before God in the order of the division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when it went into the temple of the Lord. The whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was troubled and fell upon his face. The angel said to him, do not be scared, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John. And they're going to make a whole denomination out of him. Let's pray. Father God, we're grateful. We're thankful for this moment. We declare king of glory, fill our lives. God, we want to be with you because where you are, there's fullness, there's peace, there's joy, there's power, there's purpose. We long for all that you have for us. God, we make the decision that as you speak, we will obey. And we thank you in advance for how the ravens are going to rout the Steelers today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Anybody who loves Jesus and is filled with the Holy Spirit, say I don't know if I'm allowed to say amen to that, but we're doing well. We're doing well. Normally on Raven Steelers Sunday, I got some heathen in the Steelers jersey, but I don't see any heathens in this room. And still, oh, there's one in the back. Security, can you please escort these two? <laughs> we're starting a brand new series today called Home Alone. Somebody say Home Alone. Do y'all remember that movie? 
Back in the 90s with Kevin McAllister, if you've never seen the movie Home Alone, we need you to do two things. Get saved because you can't be a Christian. And then two, go home and watch that movie. It's a classic. They don't make movies like that anymore where you don't have to fast forward anything and close your eyes and you can watch it with your kids. It's just a good, wholesome movie. But if you've never seen it, there was this kid named Kevin McAllister and and his family had decided that this Christmas they were going to fly to France. Let's pause. You ever watched something as a child and you didn't quite comprehend what you were watching? Do you understand how loaded the McAllisters had to have been to fly an entire family to Paris for Christmas? They was balling. So the whole family comes in Christmas Eve, and they're at this house, and it's just, you know, it's family deal. Kevin's a little brat, and it's all going bad, and he gets in trouble, and they send him up to the attic. They make him sleep that night in the attic, and that night, right before he goes to bed, he said, I hate my family. I wish they would just disappear. Then he falls asleep. Well, the next morning, he wakes up, and the house is empty. They forgot they had sent him to the attic and they had actually flown to France and they had left him home alone. But he thought his prayer had come to pass. He really woke up and was like, I made my family disappear. I remember watching it at eight years old and, and I tried it. I said, Stephanie, disappear. <laughs> 38 years later, she's still here. So, <laughs> But it's funny watching this movie. This feels like part four of At the Movies, but I promise you we're not going to throw it up there. For the beginning of his day home alone, it was his dream. He ate whatever he wanted out the fridge. He watched whatever he wanted on TV. He was having the time of his life. Then all of a sudden, the sun set. Some thieves started breaking in. And he realized being home alone was not all it's cracked up to be. One of the things I've discovered is there's so many people that your greatest nightmare is being alone. You you, you literally spend your life thinking, how can I make sure that I'm around other people, whether it's in a romantic relationship or friendships or business or whatever it may be, like being alone. Somehow somebody told you that if you're alone, that you're being lazy, that you're not ambitious, that you're not moving forward. I don't know what your grandma told you, but somebody told you something that jacked you up. And now it's like being alone is the worst thing that could ever happen to you. Some of you go home to a house by yourself every day after work, and you're just looking around like, man, I wish I had somebody to come home to. Hear me. There are parents named Stephen with children under five years old. If you're a parent with a child under 28 years old, we will pay you money to trade places just for a day. You come home to my chaos. I'll go home to your silence, and I will be happy, 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 happy. Ever since we had kids five years ago, we have not had a quiet day of our lives. We're glutton for punishment, so we actually have two puppies along with the three kids that we have because we just figure crying blood and tears is not enough, so let's add some fur to the whole mix. It is so bad, and we are so used to noise. Last night or Friday night, we go out on date night. We leave all the kids home with the babysitter. We're sitting down at the restaurant, and Zai says, I hear Jade crying. 
I said, babe, that's, you, 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 you're troubled. You're tormented. We left that baby home. There's no baby around here. Any parents, you went out, you hear somebody else cry. Is that my kid? Is... Because we're so used to noise. We're so used to busy. We're so used to running. We're so used to what's next. I'm going to give you the whole message, and then I'm going to clean it up in about 15 minutes. If you don't give God space to speak to you over these next three weeks, you're going to miss what he has for you over the next 12 months. God is looking for people that are not afraid of the silence. They're not afraid of being alone because there is power in your alone. I'm going to give you just three quick thoughts. Three quick thoughts. If you write this down, the first thing is this. Alone is never really alone. Alone is never really alone. Here's the thought that there's a difference between being alone and being isolated. Being isolated is not good because being isolated is when it's just you and your thoughts. You you ever sat in your thoughts? You see, every great personality has a negative side to it. The good part of my personality is I'm a visionary. I'm always dreaming. I'm always seeing next. I'm always imagining a life uh, that does not exist. The negative side of being a visionary is I'm also a doomsday prepper. That if anything goes well, goes wrong, my imagination can take it to a place where, man, I called this person. They didn't call me back. Oh, my gosh. You think they hate me? What do you think happened? Oh, if they hate me and they have dirt on me, they're probably going to try to trash me and everything I know. And next thing I know, I'm not going to have any friends. And if I don't have any friends, then I'm going to be out of a job. And if I'm out of a job, then I'm going to be out of my house. I'm out of my house. I'm going to be living on a bridge. If I'm living on a bridge. I'm going to have to get a monkey named Mike. And if I have a monkey named Mike, I'm going to have to. And next thing I know, I'm living on a bridge with a monkey named Mike eating a Slurpee from 7-Eleven. Are you with me? Somebody said isolation is not good. There's so many people that you are alone with your crazy thoughts. Stop it. It's not healthy. But there's a difference between being isolated and being alone. Isolation is just just me and my thoughts. Alone is there's no other human, but there's the presence of God that surpasses all understanding, that comes with the peace, that guards my heart and that guards my mind. And I've discovered if I don't have the practice of getting away from people for a season, I'll miss the blessing of getting alone with God and receiving from him what can only be received alone at times. In this passage that we read, we come on a man by the name of Zacharias. Zacharias was a priest, a high priest in the temple of the Lord. And it came around his time. And and because of how rarely this took place, and I'll explain it in a second, this for a priest was like the one moment in their entire lifetime. There was about 120 or so who had the honor of what he was about to do. And because it only happened one time a year, chances are he had never done this before and he would never get another opportunity to do it. It was his turn to go into the presence of God. Somebody say that sounds exciting. Can I tell you why that sounds exciting? It sounds exciting for us because we're on the other side of the cross. On this side of the cross, when Jesus died and he paid the penalty for our sin, the Bible says that the veil was torn from top to bottom, and we all have free access into the presence of God. Somebody say amen. Amen. It wasn't that way for Zacharias, though. 
because Jesus hadn't come yet. There, there was no blood that washed away all of our sins. They were still using the blood of animals. So at this moment, as Zacharias went into the temple, if there was any sin in his life that he had not repented of, he would have dropped dead instantly. Anybody want to sign up to be a priest? <laughs> it was so bad that they would tie a rope to his ankle and there were bells on the bottom of his gown. And what they would do is they'd have their ear up next to the curtain. And as long as they heard the bells chiming, it's going well. The second the bells stopped and they heard a thud, they'd start fishing them out. All right, who's the next priest? It's your turn. Anybody grateful for the blood of Jesus? My God, especially because I'm a pastor. So it says it was Zacharias's time to go into the presence of God. Could you imagine how lonely that was? Not knowing if you were going to live five minutes past this moment. I could just imagine Elizabeth kissing him goodbye as he left. And she's like, boy, you better be holy. Because if not, it's going to be rough. And it says he goes in. And in the inner court, not the Holy of Holies, but in the inner court, there was a candlestick that represented, there were seven candles, and it represented the Holy Spirit, the seven attributes of the Holy Spirit. There was the showbread, fresh bread that was baked every single day that represented that God's word, which is the bread of life, has a fresh revelation for us every single, every single, every single Sunday, every day. God has something fresh from his word for us. And then there was the altar of incense, and this represented the prayers and the praise of the people to God. And it was Zacharias's job to go in and to light that incense. Here's the thing. Nobody wanted to go in there. Because going in there alone meant that he was carrying the sins of a nation unto God for being to be forgiven. Going in there meant that there was nobody around to talk to, nobody around to meet with, nobody around to encounter. But yet the greatest miracle of Zacharias' life happened when he was alone. Hear me, church. There are certain things that God wants to do in our life that he's not going to do in a crowd. And he's not going to do around a bunch of people. He is waiting for us to get alone with people. For some of us, it's hard to get along because we're so busy. You, you're amazing. We live in a generation and a time where busy is a badge of honor, where we actually brag about how busy we are. Do you, oh, I wish I could do lunch, but I don't even eat anymore. I haven't eaten in four weeks because I'm, I'm busy, busy, busy. I got to make moves and making deals, and I'm making this happen, and I'm doing this, and I'm on my hustle, and oh my God, sorry, too busy. And God is saying, are you too busy for me? Some of us, we don't have to be busy, but we want to be busy because it helps us not to face the reality of our lives. That if I'm not busy and I slow down, I begin to think about how my life is not where I thought it would be. That my five-year goals are eight years late. That I really thought by now I'd be here and by now I'd be there and by now I'd be there. And because I don't want to deal with the fact that life is not looking the way that I thought it was going to look, I'm going to stay busy so that I don't have to deal with that. Another thought is a lot of people, being alone with God is like a nightmare. <laughs> Pastor, do you know how ratchet my life is? 
do you understand I don't have it all together? And the last thing I would want to do is be alone with God because I'm pretty sure all he's going to do is say, how could you? What are you doing? What's up with that? But here was the priest's ritual for going into the presence. They would go in first and they would light the incense. And then they would come out and they would dip their hand in the blood that was a sacrifice. And they would sprinkle blood on the altar for the forgiveness of people's sin. Watch this. Somebody say light incense. First, sprinkle blood. Second, I'm a mess with your theology, but you're going to be all right. Somebody said light incense first, sprinkle blood second. The blood represents the forgiveness of our sins. Oh, I'm going to have fun. Y'all ready for me to have fun? Your sin is not God's first concern. Somebody said light incense first. Sprinkle blood second. Your sin is God's second concern, not his first concern. And for so many of us coming to God, we are concerned about how we performed for him. And we're all, con- did we perform up to his expectation? And is he pleased? Oh man, I did not. Do you know how many people won't come to church because they messed up during the week? I don't feel like I'm holy. The sin in your life is not God's first focus. His first focus is, who do you say that I am? His, God is not as concerned about what you think about you as he is concerned about what you think about him. Because he said, whatever it is about you that you're not pleased with, I can take care of that. But if you don't see me as almighty God that can take care of whatever you're not pleased with, you'll never bring your sin to me. How you see me matters more than how you see yourself. And because we're more focused on our inadequacies, we're missing the fact that everything you are not has never intimidated your God. So he said, here's how you enter. It says the priest would come into God's presence to light the incense, but they would not come in silently. They would come in declaring who God is. So as Zacharias lived, he said, God, you're my healer. You're my provider. You're a strong tower. You're my peace. You're my joy. You're my banner of victory. You are my help in ever-present time of need. You are my redeemer, and you live. You are the rose of Sharon. It reminds me of what the Bible says. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and come into his courts with praise. Zacharias understood that when I come into God's presence, I am literally worshiping and magnifying who he is, and it is my access into his presence. I, I, I was in Orlando uh, uh, preaching at a French church, and uh, they, they just had a hookup. And yeah, you need some friends that have a hookup. I mean, there's certain things you got to pay for, and if you can't afford it, find a friend who has a hookup. So I had a friend who had a hookup with the Orlando Magic and got us courtside seats. Orlando Magic, who wants to watch them? Well, they were playing LeBron James. So that was the day that I wanted to be there. I was, I was sitting on the Orlando sideline, but I was not there for Orlando. And he said, hey, I'm going to pick you up. We'll drive together because you won't find the VIP entrance unless I'm there with you. I said, VIP entrance? It's a different entrance. So he picks me up from the hotel. We go down to the arena. We drive by all the little peasants who were in the line. To get... 
line wrapped around the building. We go to a private parking lot, hop out of the car, go to a door that is about this big with this big old security guard at the door. And my friend, he takes, listen, when you sit courtside, you don't get tickets, you get a badge. I was like, that badge got at least be $5. That's a nice little badge. He pulls out his badge. They open up this side door, and I step into a world that I did not even know existed. There's one little security guard. They check you, and then you walk in to a cafeteria for kings. There's pot roast. There's mac and cheese. There's every flavor of M&M you can imagine. Peanut M&M, chocolate M&M, caramel M&M, caramel crunch M&Ms. I mean, it is a smorgasbord. There is a bar with anything you would like for them to mix. I didn't go there, but anyway. <laughs> Pasta? And I had never been in an atmosphere like this before. And I said, man, that pot roast looks good. How much you think it is? He looked at me and laughed. He said, brother, it's free. I said, huh? I said, he said, it comes with your ticket. It's a part of the VIP experience. There was a world that I did not know existed because I never had the pass to get behind the door. There is a world in the supernatural that even believers don't know exists because they don't know how to enter into the presence of God. I'm going to come for your life in one second, and then I'm going to encourage you on the other side. Is that okay? Some people don't know how to get into God's presence without a worship team. For some people, if I'm going to feel the peace of God, the presence of God, the joy of God, I need a band, I need a Sunday, I need a singer, I need lyrics on the screen, I need people to be able to stir up an atmosphere, and then I can enter in. You ever been in one of those situations where your mama raised you right, your daddy raised you right, so you know how to open the door for people? Come on, back in the 90s when we actually used to have manners. You ever open the door for someone who's just too courteous, and it's like, hey, go on in, like, no, no, you go in. No, you go in. No, you. Listen, it's cold. I'm, I don't got that much manner, so I'm open to I give you about three seconds, and I'm walking in, and you can figure it out afterward. <laughs> for so many of us, we don't know how to get into the presence of God unless somebody opens the door for us. Hear me. When you will need God the most, there will not be a worship team around. When you need God the most, it will not be. The time you need a miracle doesn't conveniently land on 930 on Sunday morning. It's going to be a Tuesday at 8 o'clock. And if you don't know for yourself how to enter his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with prayer, if you don't know worshiping God is what opens the door for God, not complaining about your problems. I believe that we run from those alone moments, not realizing that's the exact moment that God is trying to teach us how to get somewhere in the presence of God. that our life literally is going to depend upon it. Hear me. Just because you're alone doesn't mean you're alone. God's presence is there. And he desires to download something in your heart that will blow your mind. The second thing is this. Write this down. Your miracle is waiting on you. Somebody say, my miracle. Your miracle is waiting on you. So here is Zacharias. He is in the holy, uh, the inner court by himself. He's lighting the incense. And next thing you know, an angel appears. And the angel begins to talk to him. Now, 
You got to understand, I say this all the time. We read the Bible wrong. We read the Bible like Christians. We need to write the Bible like humans. Christians read the Bible as you know the end of the story. So you're like, hey, an angel shows up. That's a good thing, right? Not if you're Zacharias. Because he's living in the time of the Bible where God would kill people. Where people mess up and the ground just opens up and boom. What happened to Hank and them? I don't know, man. Whole house, car, everything. (laughs) So he sees the angel and he's like, oh, this ain't good. This ain't good. I mean, normally I'll just drop dead, but he sent somebody to kill me. This is bad. The angel says, no, 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 calm down. I'm not here to harm you. I'm here to bless you. And here's what he says. God has heard your prayer, and it's been answered. Watch this. Y'all, Zacharias wasn't praying. He says, God heard his prayer, but he wasn't praying. I, I, I know he wasn't praying because his response was, how can this happen? What prayer? He walked in and he was just doing his job. But because he was in the presence of God, watch this. God heard the prayers that he had stopped praying. And no longer had the guts to even utter out of his mouth. What's that desire that's so deep in your heart it's painful? I, I realize, you, so help me out. Okay, here's 100% of your life. And you guys understand, sometimes I don't say things the way I'm supposed to say it, but you're going to be all right. There's about 20% of our life that's so dumb, we don't even pray about it. It's just like, ain't worth it. I'm going to wake up. I'm going to be good. You know, we don't pray about that. There's about 60% of our life that most of our prayer life goes into. But there's the top 20% of our life that we're scared to pray about. Because we don't want to deal with the disappointment of what if God doesn't do it. Like, I, I, I don't know how I'm going to cope if I pray for this and it doesn't happen. So I'm going to just leave it. Like, like, there's so much pain connected to this, and there's so much desire connected to this, that if God doesn't do it, I don't know how I'm going to respond and hear me. That's the exact prayer that he speaks to in the secret place. No, 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 no. I want to I talk about that. Because I want to do that in your life. So let me say 2017. I was here for that. 2018, 2019, 2020, and 2021. I'm going to say something ignorant, but I'm not talking about you. Somebody say he's talking about you, not about me. Or the church down the street, not us. There are people who live 2017, 18, 19, 20, 21. But instead of living five different years, they live the same year five different times. Because just because the calendar changed, Just because it's a new day, a new month, a new year, doesn't mean you're not repeating the same old march around the same mountain that God never intended you to march around. And I'm going to ruffle your feathers, but you're going to be all right. Some people are like the children of Israel, where they're so happy to be out of Egypt that there's no desire to get into Canaan. And even though mount marching around the same problem year after year after year is futile, you have nulled yourself to sleep under the idea of at least I'm not where I used to be. This is good enough. Do you think he died on the cross for good enough? He did not stretch wide and hang his head for you to live a good enough life. His desire is that you would go from glory to glory to glory to glory to glory. 
I have a confession that most men won't make, but that's all right. I am a horrible driver. Now, when I, I was about to say, not in terms of I hit things, but I'm bad at directions, but I'm horrible in all directions. Like any scratches on any of our cars, it came from me, not from my wife. If our rims are curbed, it's not because of my wife. It's because that curb jumped out and grabbed my rim. It's not my fault. I don't know where that curb came from. Um, I need to get better, but it's just that I don't care. That's the problem. I need to care more. I'm a bad driver, and I'm also horrible at directions, which means if I don't know where I'm going, it's going to be a really long trip, longer than it needs to be. And since this is like part four of Freedom Conference, and I'm giving you all my issues, I also will never let my wife drive me anywhere. I'm just that guy. You can judge me. You can say I'm a chauvinist or whatever. I'm just saying if my whole family is going to die in a car wreck, it's going to be because I was driving. It's... No, 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 that's okay. That's okay. That's okay. You can let your wife drive you. It's no big deal. having way too much. I need to go back to Freedom Conference. Anyway, people walking out of church today, baby, give me them keys. <laughs> but every time you're driving in a place that you don't know where you're going, most likely you have a GPS on. Somebody say amen. amen. And as you're driving with the GPS, two things are happening. You're either listening to what that ignorant British woman is saying recalculating or you are glancing down to make sure that you're not missing your next turn your eyes are not just locked on where you're going your eyes are locked on what the next detour or diverted route is in your journey otherwise you're going to stay on a road that you're not supposed to be on hear me our GPS is speaking, and he's pointing. The problem is for so many of our lives, our eyes are so locked on what's next that we will not take the time just to glance down at God, what are you saying? God, what are you doing? And here's what's happening. So many of us are speeding past the turn to destiny. And yes, he knew you were going to miss that turn, and he did recalculate. But you know what happens every time you recalculate? You add three minutes onto your journey. And then three minutes, and then three minutes, and then three minutes. And if you're like me and my wife, you don't leave date night until it's the last moment to get to the restaurant at the time. So three minutes now puts you three minutes past the 15 minutes of grace period in which they were going to hold your reservation. And what happens is you end up at Fridays. <laughs> Look at your neighbor and say, don't end up at Fridays. <laughs> Unless that's where you were headed. God is saying, if you would just pause. God, what are you saying? God, are you showing me a turn? Can I just talk plain? God, is this a job that it's time for me to turn from? Are these friends that it's time for me to turn from? Is this a dream and aspiration that it's time for me to turn from? Do I have 11 more miles on this season of life and then I'm going to get off on the next freeway? Or God, is this my exit? And God is saying, if you would just take space and margin just to listen to the Holy Spirit GPS and just to go, Jeremiah 33, 3 says this, call to me and I will answer you and tell you great, watch this, and unsearchable things you do not know. Someone say, Pastor Preach. 
oftentimes we only pray when we have a question. The problem is he answers prayers that we don't pray. So if we only talk to him when we have something to say, we're missing 50% of our destiny because there's so much that he has to say that we don't even know to ask. He said, if you would create that space, I'll speak a dream there that you're too scared to pray for. Somebody say, Pastor, make it practical. Okay, so let me challenge you. Here's what I've started to do over the last few years, and it's been a game changer for me, and I'm so grateful for my wife allowing me to do this, and it cost me on Christmas and the day after, but it's all good. Usually about the week after Christmas or sometime right before the new year, I'll say, babe, hey, if you give me three days to just get along with God, I promise you I'm going to come back with so much vision and dreams that it's going to catapult our family beyond anything that we could have done in our own effort. And she's been gracious enough to take our three kids for three days and say, hey, you go out and you hear from God, but you better come back for the word from God. <laughs> and some jewelry, too. So, so I'll live every year, I'll do that. I'll, I'll go off and I'll take about three days. And you may not be able to have three days. It may just be one day where you start. And here's what I do. I spread my time up into two things. The first time, about a day and a half, I spend that reviewing the last 12 months. And a really good way to do that, if you're one of the people that you take a lot of pictures, just go through your iPhone and look through all the pictures and remind yourself of the memory connected to every picture. Man, you know how February feels like 12 years ago? This has been like the longest year since last year. <laughs> and I'll just literally, man, I remember this and I remember that and I remember this and I remember that. And then I'll grab my prayer booklet that we got in 21 Days of Prayer and I'll start looking through the prayers that I had at the beginning of the year. That's when I'll mark off, oh, this is answered, oh, this is F, oh, this is pending, this is pending. Oh, I ain't even praying that anymore. I'm all good with it. And I begin to look, watch, hear me. What did my faith produce over the last 12 months? A lot of us, we never evaluate our faith. We just pray and believe, but we never see did my belief produce anything. Why didn't it produce something? Did I believe error in what God wanted for me? Did I miss it? Do I need a Just somebody say, look back. And then I'll spend a day and a half looking forward and dreaming. God, I, I, I'm believing this for my kids. Each kid, I have a dream for them over the 12 months. God, I'm believing this for my finances, this for my marriage. God, I'm believing this for the church and, and this for this campus and all that. And I'll spend that time worshiping and praying and shopping and worshiping and praying and shopping. And you can't be all spiritual. You got to have just a little bit of relief. But here's what I've discovered, that when I put space in my life for God to Y'all understand 12 months ago, I wasn't praying for a merge. This, this wasn't in my dreams. It wasn't in my aspirations. It wasn't in my vision, but it was in the will of God. And because I gave God space to download something in my heart that I wasn't even smart enough to pray for, he was able to have his will done in our church and in our lives. I wasn't praying for land. I wasn't praying for another campus. I didn't even know to pray for those things, but yet God had them. What does he have for you that you're missing out on? telling you there's a future far better than you can see right now and it's relying on you creating space for God play that piano let me give you point three we're gonna land this plane what you say when you're alone creates 
Alone is never alone. When you get alone, God's going to download miracle signs and wonders in your heart. But hear me. When God says something to you unexpected, be careful how you respond, Columbia. Be careful the words that come out of your mouth. You ever been alone and someone surprised you? You didn't know they were in the house? Did you have to repent after you said what you said? <laughs> oh! Come on, now you're in the kitchen. You're just dancing, having your little R&B moment. Somebody, ooh, ooh. Be careful what you say when you're caught off guard. Here's what the Bible says in Luke chapter 1, verse 18. The angel comes to Zacharias, and he said, hey, the pray prayer that you're not praying, but God heard your heart's cry, it's been answered. Your wife is going to have a child. And Zacharias said to the angel, how shall I know this? Somebody say, translate that. I don't believe you. It's too good to be true. I'm not getting my hopes up until you give me evidence. He said, how shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is well advanced in years. At least he was smart enough not to call his wife old. He said, I'm old, she's advanced. And the angel answered and said to him, I wish y'all read the Bible as ignorant as it is written. He said, I am Gabriel. He never told us his name until his word was questioned. He said, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God and was sent to speak to you and bring you these glad times. Here's what he said. He said, I left God to be with you. You think I would leave God and come to you to lie to you, to make fun of you, to get your hopes up? He said, the only reason I'm here is because God has a plan for your life. But he said, watch this. But behold, you will not speak. You will be mute and unable to speak until the days these things take place. Yo, just in case you're wondering, it takes 10 months for a baby to come. For the next 10 months, you ain't going to say nothing. Because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their own time. Here's what God understood that we don't understand. That our words can cancel God's will. God said, I can't have you talking and risk you saying the wrong thing. Because this is what I want to do. But if your words don't line up with my promise, then my promise will not be able to come to pass in your life. It's like your grandma used to say, if you don't have anything good to say, just don't say nothing. Question for you. What if the only thing you saw in your life was what came out of your mouth? Which, by the way, it is. What would your life look like? Will it look like I will never have... I always get overlooked. People always take advantage of me. They're never going to get their act right. This will never happen. Or are you speaking what you're believing God to do instead of the reality that you're seeing? Listen, when God opens the door for me, no one is going to be able to shut it. I'm telling you, God is getting ready to favor me in front of people that never thought possible. Today is the brokest day of my life because God is getting ready to bless me above and beyond anything I can ever ask, think, or imagine. As for my household, they will serve the Lord. This marriage will end in the kingdom and the glory of God. These children will rise up and worship God and call him blessed. How about we start saying what we want to see instead of the reality around us and watch your words create. I started doing this a few years ago. I said, well, well if life and death is the power of my tongue, and as I speak, God responds, what if I just start saying stuff? And guess what, church? I just start saying stuff. I was like, man, we're going to have campuses all over Maryland, Virginia, and D.C. And Philly, just because. 
Man, God's going to give us land and we're going to be able to build a, a place for colleges and students and track and, and ministry. Man, God, God. And you know what started happening? As I said it, not immediately, sometimes a year later, sometimes 18 months later, sometimes three weeks later, stuff just started popping up. And I began to realize that God was waiting on me to come in agreement with what he already wanted to do in my life. How about we stop responding to the drama around us and start declaring according to the power within us? Somebody say next year will be my best year because it's going to be full of the favor of God. Come on, say it again. Somebody say next year will be my best year. Come on, get ignorant. Better than last year because of the favor of God. I'm going to pray for you in a second, but first I'm going to give you homework. You got four weeks left in the year. There's what? 26 days. Pick a day. If you don't got any more vacation time, make it a Saturday. Don't skip church, but maybe make it a Sunday where you come to church, and then after church, you don't go back to rushing around, but you take some time. May not be, maybe three hours. Give God space to speak a fresh dream, a fresh hope, a fresh desire. How do I do that? Do I just sit in a room silently? No. Get alone by yourself. Spend some time worshiping. Spend some time praying. And then get out a pen or a notepad or a phone app or whatever and just start dreaming. Man, it'd be really cool if next year looked like, man, it'd be really cool. Man, isn't that me making up my life instead of God? Here's what the Bible says. It says, man makes plans, but God orders his steps. Here's what I've discovered. If I have no plan, he has no steps to order. But when I start planning, he's able to say, nope, not that. Make it this. Nope, not that. Change it here. Hey, I'm going to have a plan, God, but I'm going to put it in front of you and allow you to order my steps. And I'm telling you, come January 1, you're going to have more faith for God moving in your life than you have had to this point in your life. If you believe it, somebody praise God in this place. (laughs) Father God, we're grateful. We're thankful in this moment. God, you didn't die for us just to survive. You have purpose for us, destiny for us. You've called us to change the world around us. God, I'm praying over Union Church, every campus, every single person watching online. God, a spirit that every single person would become a visionary. God, as we take the discipline and get away with you, that you'd begin to download visions for our children, for for our spouses, for, for, for our careers, for our ministries. God, show us what you want to do in us and through us. And we're making the decision that when you speak, we will obey. Right where you're sitting, can you pray this prayer? Say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? Just give God a moment to make this time to make this message personal to you. Some of you are like, man, Pastor, I'm scared to dream. My last dream didn't work out. Oh, don't let fear keep you from faith. For some of you, if you'd be honest, you would say, Pastor, I've never ever allowed Jesus to have any say in my life. Maybe you're like me and you grew up in church. You just never surrendered to the God of the church. 
Or maybe this whole faith and religious thing is new for you, but you just know, hey, I'm tired of doing this on my own. I'm overwhelmed. I need some of that peace that you're talking about. It can only be found in the Prince of Peace, and that is Jesus himself. And believe it or not, he's not really concerned about your sin. He's concerned about how you see him. If you say, Pastor, I'm tired of doing this life by myself. I need God's hand in my life. If that's you, in this moment, you can surrender your life to him just by praying this prayer. Say, Lord Jesus, thank you for caring about me more than I could care for myself. Thank you for dying on the cross so that all my sin, all of my mistakes can be erased. Right now, I surrender. I give you all of me. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. And use me to change this world. In Jesus' name, amen and amen and amen. Come on, church. Can you go crazy? Can you celebrate for every single person?